Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us here today. We thank you for um, being so faithful to us and, and filling us up when we are empty. We thank you for meeting us where we're at. We just thank you, God. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. together lovely all together worthy 
Thank you, God. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here today. Happy Pi Day. All my math and science nerds out there. I have to admit, I am lots of different kind of nerd. Math nerd is not one of them. <laughs> I, am, I am bad at math. Uh, I remember reading this thing once. It's like... Uh, I took this calculated risk, but man, am I bad at math. <laughs> it's like my calculations were so far off. Um, let's pray. I, um, just as we were in worship, I was really sensing something from God. And so I want to take a moment. I want to pray into that. Um, so Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, your presence was, was heavy with us this morning, God. Lord, I just, um, Jesus, I don't know if it was because we were singing about your name and the power of your name and the forgiveness in your name and the, the glory of your name. But Jesus, we call on you this morning, God. Holy Spirit, would you come fill us? Holy Spirit, would you release your anointing on us this morning? Lord, would you, Lord, we are open to your, to your move, God, to your presence, Jesus, to your your work this morning, Lord. Lord, we, we accept, we recognize, we um, give glory and honor to your name, Jesus. Lord, it says at the name of Jesus, the demons tremble. 
It says that the name of Jesus that we have redemption. In the name of Jesus, we are made whole. In the name of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. In the name of Jesus, we're made new. And so, Jesus, we lift up your name. Lord, we say that you, you Father God, you are Jehovah Rapha, God whose name is a banner above us. Lord, may your name be lifted up in our church, God. May your name be lifted up in our lives, Lord Jesus. Um, I just, as I was in back running sound, as I was praying this morning, I just, I had this, this sense of um, someone just really needing a touch from the Lord this morning. Someone really needing to just know of the reality of God, that God is real, that the Holy Spirit um, moves in us and through us, that, that Jesus is real, that God's power to forgive us, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, the roads we've traveled, that if we will confess our weakness and confess our sin and confess where we have, have failed God, that he is faithful and, and just to forgive us. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to just, I want you to hold on to that this morning. The, the grace of God, the goodness of Jesus, the, the redemptive power that is in the name of Jesus, that there's so much power in Jesus's name. And so Lord, just to, to close this little section, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we bind any um, doubt. Lord, we bind any fear. Lord, we bind any um, manipulation with anyone's mind, Lord God. Lord, we just bind that in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just say that this, this morning, this place, this time is holy. And in the name of Jesus, because of what you did on the cross, Jesus, we can come before God pure and right and whole and holy because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we thank you for that, God. And so in the name of Jesus, in your powerful name, Jesus, in your wonderful name, Jesus, Lord, can we be submitted to you this morning? Every part of us, God. Lord, would you take everything that we are Lord, we lay it before your altar, God, and we give you all that we are, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Amen. Um, just as I was praying, I kind of got this little picture, too. Um, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, this old Christian book by, I think it was John Bunyan, if I remember correctly. Anyway, he like walks up to the cross and he's had this giant backpack that he's been carrying around with him with all this garbage in it. And when he walks up to the cross, like the, the straps come loose and the backpack falls at the foot of the cross. And then he's, he feels almost weightless, like he's free. He's free because those straps came off at the foot of the cross and he feels freedom. And so... 
you know, just if that's if that's for you, I just encourage you to um, really just keep listening for the Lord and pressing in into Jesus. And now that I've given one short message, we're going to go on to another one. Uh, that first one was not intentional. It was <laughs> God was doing something there. So, and we always one thing we really cherish and want to keep close to our heart here at the Vineyard is allowing the Holy Spirit to mess with our program. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to intervene and switch stuff up if he wants to switch stuff up. So um, please know that that's just part of our way of being. Uh, there we go. Okay, this week we're going through John 19, 1 through 16. And this is where Jesus is in front of Pilate. And he's going to be sentenced in front of Pilate. And Pilate is really wrestling with recognizing that Jesus is innocent. And yet, as a governor of Rome, he has a responsibility to Rome to keep the peace and to keep stuff stable. And, and also, he, it, you'll see in the scripture as we kind of open it up, um, he's wrestling with some fear about sentencing Jesus. He's, he's not quite sure what's going to happen if he sentences this innocent man. And we'll dig into that a little bit more as we get into the text. But let's start off with, as we do each week, with talking about Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way for us to follow. It's not just enough for us to worship God, but we are called to emulate the lifestyle of Jesus, to be the people of the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is literally all truth. He's the primary revelation of God's character to the world. And finally, Jesus is the life. Through Jesus, he gives us life, both now and forevermore. So starting off in John 19, verses 1 through 3, says this. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and pressed it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. I kind of mentioned this a little bit last week, but can you imagine one of these soldiers when they finally end up passing on from this world and going before the throne of God? And they were mocking Jesus, and they were pressing a crown of thorns in his head, and they were smacking him, and they were beating him with cords, and then suddenly you're standing before him and you realize, oh, crud, I did all of that to God. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I feel sometimes empathy because uh, I fail, and I sin, and I screw up in all kinds of ways. And it's not so different because someday I'll stand before God. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, oh, crud, God... <laughs> Jesus, thank you that you forgave me and that you loved me and you went to the cross for me, even knowing all these ways that I'm going to mess up. <laughs> you know, thank you, Lord. So soldiers would frequently play games such as throwing knuckle bones or coins and dice. In another um, gospel, it talks about how they like they rolled for um, to get his robe because it had, would have some value. Um, so this was something that they did. Um, but they could also view as more unusual and interesting opportunities 
to abuse prisoners. And so sadly, you know, mocking and abuse of prisoners is often the response of people who are personally weak and small-minded, even today, right? I mean, like I have complete, as a guard, I would have complete and total power, especially a Roman guard, complete and total power over this prisoner, Jesus. And I could pretty much do anything I wanted to short of killing him, because that was for the governor to decide, um, and get away with it. Like, knowing that you already have all the power and then using that to mock and beat and spit on and manipulate a prisoner, I mean, it's just, you know, to me it just seems really small. Like, you have to have a really small heart. You have to have pretty bad character for that to be your response to someone who's weaker than you. Greek princes, talking about this robe that they put on him, typically wore a purple robe. Purple dye was the most expensive. I I read a little bit about how they made it. They used to find these small snails along the Mediterranean, and they would crush these snail shells to make this purple dye. And you had to kill hundreds and hundreds of these tiny little snails to get enough dye to make this whole robe. So it was this really intensive, difficult process to make a purple robe which is why it was so expensive, because it was laborious. And they didn't have machines and modern chemistry to just make purple happen. They had to use what was natural. So the soldiers here, some scholars say, likely used like a a faded scarlet lictor's robe. Uh, Matthew references this, or an old rug, which to me, like as I was thinking about that, if these historians are correct, like that's an even greater level of mockery, right? hey, here's your royal robe, and it's actually like somebody's rug they use in their house, right? And so that kind of actually, it makes a little bit of sense to me, considering they're mocking him anyway. Um, When they say, hail, king of the Jews, hail is sarcasm. It's derived from the customary salutation of Ave, you may have heard the song Ave Maria at Christmas time, Ave, or hail God, or hail Mary, this is Ave Caesar, Hail Caesar. So when they were saying, Hail, King of the Jews, as he's being beaten and crown of thorns is on his head and he's being flogged and spit upon and they're saying, Hail, as like Caesar, Hail, King of the Jews. It's just further mockery. Pilate probably thought that like a flogging, a beating, might satisfy these religious leaders. Because he still didn't want to be responsible. You remember that in the scene where he says he washes his hands, right? That, you know, this man is innocent. I wash my hands of this. Like, Pilate, he really doesn't want to be responsible for this. And I don't think it was he was sympathetic. I mean, he was a Roman governor. What did he care about this single Jew, right? I mean, it wasn't really worth his time. I think rather, he didn't want to get in trouble. He feared an uprising because Jesus had a following, right? Which is part of why the religious leaders wanted to kill him. And so Pilate was probably worried that he was going to kick off some type of a rebellion or an insurrection and still get in trouble. And so he didn't want this innocent man to die at his hands. There's another aspect to this that I'm going to get into a little bit later that I kind of, I think is interesting. Uh, But continuing on in John 19, 4 through 5, it says this. 
Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. See, Pilate did this beating and this mocking because sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, this satisfied the accusers. So I think he was hoping to get away with it. This garb of a mock king, right? It was irony. It was sarcasm. These were common. If you read old Greek writings, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, they often used sarcasm as a form of communication. Some people today, I guess immediately coming to mind, probably my friend Ryan, uh, use sarcasm still today as a form of communication. Some people suggest that the title man may contrast ironically with their charge. Their charge was that he was saying he was God, son of God. And so Pilate's saying, here's the man trying to divert what it was they were trying to do. Continuing on in John 19, verses 6 through 7. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they started shouting, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, again he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. As I mentioned last week, the Jews couldn't actually carry out this form of execution. And Pilate saying, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is the third time Pilate proclaimed Jesus' innocence. In the ancient world, repeating something three times was very important. It's super significant. And you see it all throughout Scripture that when something is said three times, it carries a greater weight. It carries a greater level of significance. Contrary, though, to what the Jews said, falsely claiming to be a Messiah in Jewish law was not a capital offense. In Jewish teaching, as long as one was not a false prophet advocating for other gods, you were okay. However, in Rome, political considerations were made for anyone who was claiming to be royal because it was a challenge to the emperor. And that was a capital offense. The only ruler in Rome, was to be Caesar. None else. John 19, 8-10 says this. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus stood silent before him. He said, do you refuse to speak to me? 
Pilate said, don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or crucify you? Pilate, like most good Romans, was a superstitious man. And this charge of Jesus being the son of a god frightened him. He had likely heard, because it was pretty common knowledge, of some of Jesus' miracles. And as a good pagan, he likely believed in the Roman pantheon, which included gods and demigods as part of their general understanding. And so if Jesus was the son of a god, there might be some kind of divine retribution from his mom or dad, right? What if he was the child of Zeus? Pilate might be dodging lightning bolts if he put Jesus to death. What if he was another Hercules? Who knows? In Pilate's mind, he's a pagan. Like, gods and goddesses, demigods. Like, this is all part of their culture. And so when they say in the scripture that that Pilate was afraid, they believe that that might be part of what he was afraid of. What if this was actually, what if this Jesus guy is actually a demigod? What if he actually is the son of a god? Then what? Pilate says this as well. Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or crucify you? Have you noticed, I've just, just something that I was kind of thinking of as I was reading the text, that when people who are in positions of authority, dominance, or power feel threatened, they tend to double down on their position. You often see it in politics and in dictatorships. It's this fear response to try to ins- assert control when someone's pushing back. And sadly, you often see it in incidents of domestic abuse. Whenever you're somebody who's in a position of power, and you have control over someone else. As soon as that person who you have control over starts to push back, generally, you're afraid. You're afraid you're going to lose the control over that person or those people. And so that's when you start pressing harder and start pressing harder and controlling more and more. And I've seen it so many times over my 50 years here on the planet. I think that's, Pilate was scared. It says in the scripture, he was afraid. And so then I think that's when he started doubling down, pressing into Jesus. He's like, don't you realize I have the power, I have the power to either free you or crucify you. Little does he realize who he's talking to though, right? (laughs) And so Jesus answers him. Continuing on in verses nine, or chapter 19, verses 11 through 12. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go... You are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So they were like playing their trump card, 
right? They were saying, hey, look, we're going to rat on you. This man's claiming to be royalty. This man's claiming to be king. And if you don't kill him, we're going to let the people who are above you know that you allowed this to happen under your authority, under your leadership. You allowed a man to rise up and say he was a king. And everyone knows there's no king but Caesar. Jesus' response to Pilate's assertions of power, I think Jesus is... I, I feel like this, I'm, and this may be dusty reading into the text, okay? So I'm going to say that up front. But I felt like Jesus was saying it with a little bit of disdain. Like, Pilate tried to control him. Pilate tried to push in on him. And Jesus is like, look, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Again, Pilate was probably afraid. If Jesus did have that spark of the divine in him as he said he did. No friend of Caesar, which is what the Jewish leaders were saying to Pilate. There's an implied threat, as I mentioned, that if he released Jesus, that Pilate would stand accused before Caesar. Pilate had a long record. If um, you've ever heard of the Roman historian Josephus, he wrote this book called the Book of Josephus. And he mentions Christ a number of times. He's not a Christian. Josephus wasn't. He was just a Roman historian who was around during this time. In the book of Josephus, he talks a lot about Pilate. And Pilate was really well known for antagonizing the Jewish people. And so he couldn't face this kind of a prospect of them going and telling Rome that he was allowing an insurrection to begin. Rome wanted peace. That was their ultimate goal. Not because they loved peace, but because then they could tax. And they could expand their power to other places. Because if, if you're in the military and you gain a foothold, you want to keep that foothold so that you can continue on and expand more and expand more and expand more. But you need to have those footholds secure before you can expand your territory. Otherwise, you lose that area. And so Rome needed that peace to be stable, which is why they installed Pilate and other governors to do this. Rebellion was truly their worst fear. Continuing on, John 19, 13 through 14. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat, a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is called Gabatha. It was the day of the preparation of Passover. It was around noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. This is a reference, fulfilling prophecy from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If you remember Palm Sunday, which we often celebrate, which is when they laid the palms down in front of him when Jesus was riding into town. He rode on a donkey because that's all they could find. And they were celebrating Jesus, right? And this is in reference to your king comes. Your king comes. And that was Jesus. John doesn't let us forget this kingship of Jesus when he's writing this gospel. 
Pilate didn't mean, here's your king, seriously. Right? We know that from his interaction with Jesus. He knew Jesus wasn't the kind of king that they were making him out to be, which is why he wanted to let him off. But John, who's writing this as an evangelistic pamphlet to tell others about the life of Jesus, did know he was a king. Not an earthly king, but a king of the kingdom of heaven. And John often emphasized throughout the gospel, just as Jesus did, about the kingdom of God and the kingship of Jesus. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover. Those who recited the standard daily prayer called the 18 benedictions, which was something that the Jewish people, religious people prayed each day, they often prayed for the coming, and I put ironically, <laughs> who was Jesus, the, they would daily pray for the coming of the Davidic Messiah. Passover was associated with redemption. If you remember what Passover was, Passover was when they were back in Egypt and their people were going to die because God was bringing plagues upon Egypt. And they were told to take the blood of a sheep and put it on their doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over their house and their children would not die. And that's what they were celebrating at Passover. They were redeemed. They were saved from that angel of death. And so this was something that the Jewish people celebrated from then on every year. And this Jewish prayer at Passover acknowledges no king but God. In that 18 benedictions that there is no king but God. Because they were waiting. And modern day Jews who don't recognize Jesus wait today still for this Davidic Messiah. They're waiting for Messiah to come. And yet, they later declare Caesar as king. So they were preparing for Passover, doing Passover, daily praying that there is no God, no king but God. And yet, 15 through 16. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. So, finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. How many times do we do this same thing? Like, Jesus, I recognize you as Lord. God, you are my only God. Jesus, you are my king. I'm a, I'm a child of the kingdom of heaven. I'm a co-heir with Christ. All of these things that we know about our identity for, as we follow Jesus. Isn't it ironic that they rejected any suggestion that they were rebels against Rome, but they make a statement of allegiance that no Jew should ever rightly make? That we have no king but Caesar. And we do these same things. Money, power, fame, all the different things of the world that we desire. Caesar. Caesar's in our life. And what is it? We forget our identity. We forget who we are. My question is, who's your king day to day? What does it mean in your life? 
if Jesus is truly to be your Lord. If we don't make Jesus Lord, Jesus is still Lord. What are we supposed to do? What, what we are supposed to do is submit to his lordship. And my question is, what does that look like for you? What areas, what, what spaces in your life do you have that you're still holding on to? Where you're not allowing God's word, what you know of Jesus, to penetrate and take hold and replace those old habits and those old ways of being. W.S. Plummer writes, God's government is fixed. It cannot be subverted. Empires rise and decline, fall or vanish away, but his kingdom changes not. Others are sometimes strong and sometimes weak, but his possesses all vigor and might. A world without end. It endures forever. It includes all duration and all worlds. Even the waste of waters, which are seen, have seen no footprints of man or angel, proclaim that there is a God who sitteth as king forever. It is by God and by God alone that we live. All our strength is from him. God's kingdom is forever. It is immutable. It cannot be changed. Kingdoms of the world may rise and fall, but God's kingdom is eternal, and it is forever. And because of Jesus, we are citizens of that kingdom. And that's incredible, and we shouldn't forget it. This past week, you may have heard of the turmoil in Myanmar. There were soldiers shooting indiscriminately at a bunch of protesters as they were chasing them down the streets, and they came to a Catholic orphanage. And bullets started pounding into the orphanage. And so one of the nuns came out, Sister Anne Rose Nu Tuang. And she kneeled in front of the soldiers and the police and begged them to spare the children inside and instead take her life. In response, as you can see in the picture, two of the soldiers dropped to their knees and joined her. That is putting your life on the line for Christ. This picture is what it means to be a Christian. We often talk about in, in the U.S. how Christians are persecuted or how things are hard for us sometimes. And then you see things like this, where <laughs> in other countries they're literally going into churches and killing everyone. Perspective is something that we have to have. She was perfectly willing to place her life on the line to save the kids that she was given charge of. And I believe the Holy Spirit moved on these men because <laughs> two of them dropped to their knees in front of her as well, praying. It's a powerful image 
And it really struck me as I was reading this story. I want to finish by reading Romans 8, 37 through 39. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says this. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate me from God's love. I am convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished on us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we can see even here in the scripture that we read today, as you were being sentenced, you could have just walked away. You could have walked away and no one would have been able to touch you. And yet you chose to go through this for our sake and out of obedience to your Father. Jesus, we thank you for the love that you showed us in the midst of this trial, that you chose to stand falsely accused before Pilate, before your own people, before these chief priests who daily prayed for David's Messiah when he was standing right in front of them. And Jesus, you did all that for us. And Lord, we can never thank you enough. And we can never earn what it is that you did for us, God. But Lord, I pray that each and every day, and like the, the nun that we heard about today, Lord God, Lord, could we learn to put down our lives? Could we learn to sacrifice all that we are and submit it to you, Jesus, and give you all that we are, God? Every part of our being, Jesus, Lord, we submit it at your throne, at your cross, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Amen.
for my ransom. Everything I once held dear, I count it all as loss. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay of myself I belong to you lead me lead me to the cross you were as I
deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone and I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God From my mother's womb chosen me Excuse me, so I 
just stay kind of in this moment. Um, I feel like we're supposed to just have an invitation for prayer. Um, uh, specifically, um, just kind of as the song was talking about, if you wrestle with fear, if fear is something you wrestle with, even if it's not necessarily fear for you, it may be fear for a child, one of your kids, it may be fear for a relative, or um, it may even just be like more of a kind of a existential kind of generalized thing you're wrestling with fear. Um, but if this is something that you um, are wrestling with, um, I'd like to encourage you to get some prayer this morning. Um, we're going to pray about a couple other things, but specifically, um, is there anybody here who, any? You know, it might take a little bit of courage, but we're talking about fighting against fear. So, you know, um, if you need prayer about something that you have fear about, could you raise your hand so I can have somebody come pray for you? Is there anybody? Sweet. Okay. Dave, could you, um, right behind you, my friend there. Um, the other thing was I felt like we were supposed to pray this morning for um, if anybody needs any healing from something physical, if you've got something physical going on, um, I feel like we're supposed to pray just for God to touch you. We here at the Vineyard believe that God still heals us and can restore us, and we've seen some healings in the last couple of weeks, and so um, we want to just keep pressing into that. So is there anybody who has anything going on physically? Um, that you could use prayer for, for healing. Do you want to raise your hand? Jake, okay. Um, Bob, would you? Yeah, awesome, thank you. Is there anybody else? Are missing anybody over there? No, okay. Okay. Um, last thing. Um... I felt kind of strongly that um, there's somebody, uh, someone in here, and it might be hard to raise your hand, and so I want to preface it with that, but you've been wrestling with some anxiety about something, and you just, you need God's peace. You need to feel God's hand, um, that this anxiety, and I don't know what's, uh, I didn't get like anything as far as what's causing it specifically, but just that you've been feeling really anxious. And it's like, sometimes even it feels a little bit overwhelming, like you feel your heart rate. Sometimes it feels like your heart's going to jump out of your chest. Your blood pressure kicks up. Like you just you feel anxious about something. And I felt like God just wanted you to get some prayer for that today. So is there anybody who's struggling with anxiety, anxiousness? Me. You, <laughs> my lovely wife. And then, okay. Um, so why don't you come down? Shauna, would you mind praying for Chris? Yes. <laughs> yes, that too. I want lots of volunteers. <laughs> So can some people over here, people? <laughs> yes, please. Thank you.
for everyone else uh, you guys God bless you this week um, just keep pressing in and uh, seeking the Lord and uh, yeah thank you for joining us this week